0: This is Darren Robs, and you're listening to The Snowbrains Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Snowbrains Podcast, where it's my job to interview the most intelligent people in the snow sports industry, and pass their fascinating knowledge onto you, our listeners. I'm your host, Miles Clark. I'm a professional free skier, a professional mountain guide, a UC Berkeley molecular cell biology graduate, the founder and CEO of Snowbrains. And when I started skiing at age 18, I moved to Bend, Oregon, bought a pair of Nordica rear-entry boots, and 201-centimeter-long, 68-millimeter-wide K2FX Extreme skis, and learned how to powder ski from an old woman on a pair of Atomic Powder Plus fatties. She told me, heels down, toes up. Mount Bachelor's snowpack got as deep as 200 inches that season, and I was hooked for life. This episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Icon Pass. Winter 21-22 on sale at IconPass.com. And the best price and the biggest savings of the 21-22 season are happening now. With pass options starting at only $3.99, claim your season of Stoke before prices go up on May 5th. Discover pass options at IconPass.com. My guest today is four-time Olympic skier Darren Rawls. Darren was on the U.S. ski team from 1993 until the year 2010. He has 12 World Cup victories, 28 World Cup podiums, three World Championship wins, seven U.S. national titles. In 2008, he was the Winter X Games gold medalist for skier crossed. He's the only American in the World Cup era to ever win the Super Bowl of skiing, the Hanukkahm Downhill in Kitzbühel, Austria. Darren is also the only American to ever win the Super G in Kitzbühel. Darren saw seven podiums in only five years in Kitzbühel, which is unmatched in American history. Kitzbühel is just such a big deal. He has been to three Olympics as a ski racer, and then one as a skier cross athlete. He's also was the world jet ski champion, in 1993. His dad had the US World Water Skiing Jump Record at 158 feet back in 1964, which is insane. Darren's done the Baja 1000 motocross race on a motorcycle in 2006 and took a terrible crash, which he tells us about. In 2010, Powder elected him as Best Line of the Year in their video awards, which is nuts. And he's also been an athlete for TGR, MSP, Warren Miller, Rage Films. Most of these, he's just crushing big lines in Alaska and all over the world. Darren has been a Red Bull athlete since 2003. Darren grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and now calls Truckee, California, home. Hello, Darren. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing really good. First of all, good to see you, Miles. I know mean, we shared a little AK days, you know, just, you know, side of the state, different places, but we shared some experiences up there. And you're up there, and I'm uh, just back from Alaska, a great few days to cap season off. And now we're back to the spring skiing. It's cooking up here in Tahoe.
1: Oh, man, it's cooking up here in Alaska, too. You and I both rode the roller coaster of Alaska for sure. How many days this season have you skied?
0: Dude, I was actually, I've never counted. Really? I've never. never. Never kept, never kept track. And every year, I'm like, oh, I'll keep track, but I never do. I don't know skiing quite a bit. Like, on average, probably like you know f- at least four, or five days a week. I'm like maybe seventy percent the resorts, and the rest like all backcountry. Some incredible things this year, even given the challenges of COVID restrictions. Uh, yeah, I kept it close to home a lot, uh, early season. I went to Colorado just for a, a coaching a camp in Copper, far west. Did uh, just a bunch of stuff around Tahoe and then actually went to Austria to work on this film project on Franz Klammer. Legend of the sport in downhill. He's an Austrian. He won the 1976 Olympics with like basically the run that put downhill ski racing on the map. He, he's a, a friend of mine, I'm pretty honored to say, and just one of those guys is like a full legend and idol. But I was kitted out in his gear. <laughs> top to bottom all like the old like helmet you know suit and the old skinny skis and we had new bindings are painted up to look like the old stuff i was having a ski climber style like get out of control and have like <laughs> hairy moments on downhill skis going like 70 miles an hour on purpose which is kind of tough to do but you know on my feet so that was that was a good good trip
1: what's your main goal when you go skiing
0: my main goal when i ski is just fun like feeling something that's like just excites me and I want to get a little push, you know, a little adrenaline push. Just somewhere where I have to be really focused.
1: And what's your biggest accomplishment in skiing?
0: My biggest accomplishment in skiing is probably, you know, just showing that I belong with the elite level group in ski racing and winning my first World Cup. I had a number of World Cup wins, but the first time is really kind of what just shows you, you know, what you're, what you're capable of doing. And I think that was like a big breakthrough.
1: Real and true validation. What's your biggest accomplishment in life?
0: Biggest accomplishment in life, definitely having children, twins, and now they're 13 years old. Whoa. <laughs> I think that really rocked me by the hardest of any moment in my life. You know, even over winning like St. Anton World Championships or Kitspiel, a Honeycomb, it's just you're bringing a new life into this world. And, and for me, it was two at the same
1: time. It's a lot of responsibility. How do you define yourself?
0: Um, I define myself as being, say, a hard worker and a scrapper. am always uh, up for a challenge. Yeah, I don't like to back down. Now I've, I've realized that as you get older, you kind of start thinking about more of the calculated risk you're going to take, but it's still fun to push it.
1: Where's your favorite place to ski and maybe your favorite mountain ranges?
0: Whenever I, I find good snow and great terrain, it's my new favorite. I mean, <laughs> I, live, I live in Tahoe for a reason because I love this area, the terrain and the snow. and and just bring around water. So I have to say probably Tahoe is number one for me, but really fortunate to see so much more of the world and, and score some just incredible days. And I, I mean, if you're going to take it to the next level, turn it to 11, it'd be Haynes, Alaska.
1: Haynes is pretty special, man. Uh, what month of the year is the best for skiing and riding and why?
0: I'd say March. March is the best uh, time of year because you still get lucky with some colder storms. You have a great snowpack, with like, you know, a lot of like snow that's been built up. March, after a series of winter storms, just opens up a lot more terrain. And one of my favorite places around Tahoe is Donner Summit. And usually that time of year, you have good light. And if you have, a, you know, catch it off after a good storm, you have this incredible roll over, over terrain, kind of navigating your way down. It's, it's like an adventure scheme, but March is, you know, you got good sun and good pals, so it's a good combination.
1: I like that. That's uh, what Scott Gaffney calls the double secret location, Donner Summit. Uh, <laughs> what, what would you do if you couldn't ski? If
0: I couldn't ski, I'd go crazy, man.
1: No. <laughs> it's that it's easy. Straight jacket, you lock away. Straight
0: jacket, put me in a corner and lock me up. <laughs>
1: I like it. <laughs> uh, now that you don't race anymore, what kind of skiing do you do?
0: You know, actually, I do get on race skis a little bit and jump in on, you know, some training days. Um, I do a lot of like fundraising events. I actually ran a race of downhill up in Jackson Hole this year, which is awesome. Wow. So I was back on the long skis. I do a ton of backcountry and a lot of days at the resorts. You know, it's just, I love like taking chair laps so I can just fire off a ton of runs. And I also love the other side where you get more immersed in the outdoors and, and just uh, earn your
1: turns. What scares you the most in the mountains?
0: What scares me is more kind of just what snow can do height. I'm not like uh, too comfortable with the heights. When I get on stuff that's like really sketchy and there's elevation drop that's kind of what scares me. Especially when I don't have my skis on. As a ski racer you know I can make a good turn. I felt like if there's snow on anything I could, I could ski it. And I had my eyes opened up a couple times. with some, some slopes that opened up on me and really started getting more aware of consequences and what snow does and me as a ski racer kid growing up at a resort i never even thought about you know avalanche being a problem for me it was just something like big crazy mountains you know the more more you're exposed to that stuff you see people get crushed by slides or i've lost some friends it's 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 eye-opening so i am super aware these days
1: avalanches are so scary especially someone at your level of skiing where you have so much control because avalanches take your control away and that is terrifying for almost everybody.
0: One that kind of my eyes up years ago is before Avalon or airbags. I was up in Haynes. And um, I was luckily just under the snow surface. I could punch my way out. And I was all good. Here in Tahoe, it was my wife's birthday. We were out cat skiing in Coldstream area. And we were just like, not really focused on, you know, the potential danger. Like JT Holmes was out there with us and we didn't have our airbags on us. And he dropped in right before me and this whole thing unleashed on him. And he was buried like six feet under head down kind of the gnarliest experience I've ever had, you know, and it was like touch and go, man. It was, we hustled so hard and, and got him out. And and he was like kind of in and out of consciousness and then snapped out of it and he ended up skiing back to the snowcat about half an hour later. It was crazy, but that really spooked me and everybody else around us and, It just shows even on smaller runs and you got to always be on guard.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I remember reading that story uh, when you guys rescued JT Holmes and I was just so impressed with the protocol and and how you guys got him out so quickly. So congrats to you guys. Uh, I know that he appreciates you guys a lot.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that. But it was group effort and we had the numbers, you know, like if it was me and Michelle and and JT and that happened, like, tragedy that day you know but um it was her birthday that day and we were out oh, like right. a catch scheme and it was like she actually had a gopro on. watched jt drop in i think it was like seven and a half minutes from the time he unleashed his slide to when we got him out and Very he was impressive in a under a ton of snow miles it was super scary like his mom wrote me a really nice letter you know just thanking us for what we did you know and it's like geez i mean it's we do everything possible, you know, to get anybody out and, you know, but joining your friends. It's like that much heavier,
1: even more meaningful. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that it came out that way, but, uh, but
0: yeah, so that's, that's the number one thing that scares me the most in the mountains is, is, you know, potential for avalanche or avalanches.
1: What's the scariest race course on earth and why?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, hands down the scariest race course is the Hanukkah in Kittspiel. You know, there's this really high consequences there. It starts off like in your face and it's so funny. It's my favorite race to run. And I like it because of the amount of focus you need at the strife. That's the name of the track. I'd walk up the first night on the race hill in the dark with no one else is around and kind of like almost speak to the mountain in a way and say, Hey, you know, I'm excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to trying to come down and just ski as fast as I can, but like, please keep me safe you know, I have this talk of the mountain in a way, you know, it's like that, in a way, if it could have a conversation with me, it'd be great. But I was just leading this conversation. I got full respect, but I'm coming out here to own you. So help me, you know, keep me safe and help me go fast. You know, and I just felt like it was more of an intimate connection and it was a way of just like dealing with the fear a little more. You're ripping down this mountain. You're about a minute and 40 seconds into it and you jump off the housebury content into the traverse and it's really demanding section of the race hill. I mean, you're, you are tired. You're pretty tapped out at that point. So you're hanging on and just full grit, just trying to like push as hard as you can and, and pull it off. And that's where you see a lot of crashes going on. Cause guys just like, you know, get eaten up on that section.
1: How fast are you going right there?
0: I'd say mid sixties, but it's, it's Damn. It rough. It's a blind kind of roll. It's like, all stair stepped out it's full-blown ice you're basically just like trying to keep elevation keep moving projecting yourself forward but just touching down wherever you can like as soon as you touch down you try and like just lay into it juice it really quick so you keep that momentum moving forward and keep your elevation and then you drop into the zeal shoes which is going to the last jump the finish and speeds kick up there like mid 80s
1: Wow. Unbelievable. I love the mindfulness that you're exhibiting by walking up there at night and communicating with the course. That's, that's not something you hear a lot about in skiing, uh, nor ski racing. I love that. Mindfulness is, a, is definitely a big deal to, to myself and, and a lot of people that I ski with. And then just that, the fact that you won, you're only the second American to ever win the Honeycomb, which is the gnarliest ski race, the Super Bowl of skiing, if you will. And I don't know, has another ski, American ski racer won that race?
0: Well, Buddy Warner back in like the 60s. 1959, I think prior to the world
1: cup right okay so just you two
0: yeah i mean so just the two of us i mean modern day world cup ski racing like i'm the only one so
1: unbelievable pretty
0: awesome to have that you know i just was stoked i won it i would love for another american to feel what it's like to win in in Kittsfield. it's legendary status i mean you win there you got your name on a gondola i got number 91 so (laughs) you Wait till number 91 comes around, jump on that. I love when friends uh, take a ride in in my Gandhi there. In five years, I had seven podiums. So I was really consistently performing. And I I lost a race there by three one hundredths of a second. So that was a potential for another win. But my most incredible feelings have come from racing in Austria, St. Anton, where I won world champs, and then um, in Kitzbühel. And there's other cool stuff. There's a Herman Meyer one in 2001. I was third. And wow. in the finish area, this trap door opens up in the finish area. Like you'd walk over it. There's snow right there. This trap door opens up and it has Sigurd which It's Winter Street. Uh huh. Herman walks down these stairs and the hatch closes like it wasn't even there. And Whoa. it just disappeared. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, I was just like, oh, I want to know what's down there. And I saw him <laughs> next weekend, like Garmisch Germany at the race. And I almost asked him. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to hold this just to those that win. Like, I don't want to know unless I earn it. I don't ever want to know what's down there. And two years later, I found out. So that was pretty cool.
1: What was down there?
0: Can't tell you, man. What I I imagined was, uh, you know, the hottest uh, Austrian girls serving schnapps (laughs) with all the legends (laughs) of the sport high-fiving you. Just like having the full on like legends, you know, the past winners there just like gathering for a little bit, you know, just welcome to the club kind of thing.
1: So, a secret but, trap door at the end of the Hanukkah, the Super Bowl of skiing, only for the winner to enter. And then it shuts again, and only people that know what's in there are people who've won that Super Bowl race. Yeah. That is intriguing. And what do you love most in the mountains?
0: I just, I love kind of just looking around the mountains and, and finding new terrain and something unique. I just, I mean, it's, there's always something different. Obviously, when you have exceptional snow quality, that's what I love the most because you could ski it helps you ski almost anything you want to ski right i just i just love being outdoors just thrive off of those experiences
1: what's the funniest accident you've had in the mountains
0: actually it wasn't me but what comes to mind really quick is i was up at the rubies and we're skiing out below we'll this one line of the trees and our one of the guys with us is a full double ejection going about like 10 miles an hour because it got so sticky Ooh. Faceplant, like they didn't have time to take the, put the hands down. So that, w- that was a good laugh right there. And, and,
1: uh, <laughs> what have been the most fear-inducing and biggest risk ventures of your life? And, and this doesn't have to be skiing.
0: After I finished ski racing, I, I did the Baja 1000. Oh, wow. Yeah, on a dirt bike with a couple of guys. And I think that was probably the scariest thing I did because I was racing at night. You got trophy trucks like out there with you and you get fully dusted out and i had a big crash actually I got g'd out in this uh, washout and i couldn't even breathe i'm just curled up and no idea where the bike is but these guys ran over to me in the dark i couldn't believe it. like it was the middle of nowhere these guys grabbed me and started dragging me off the trail of the road wow. Whoa. And i'm like oh what's gonna happen here they're just gonna completely they like, just ransack me here now <laughs> I, I can't even move i'm like sucking wind and they saved me. They pulled me out of the track, off the track, and this trophy truck like 10 seconds later came mobbing by like I would have been roadkill. And Whoa. so that was pretty gnarly. And um, just like, you don't really – I mean, one, the hit was was tough to take. And I was just trying to like – I was luckily uninjured. I was just trying to get my, you know, wind back my lungs. But I went over the bars and had a big, big crash there. But thinking about if no one was there, these guys weren't there. They drag me off the track like – I could have been run over on skis. I'd say Arctic man.
1: Oh Arctic yeah. Man. yeah. Tell us happy. a little bit about Arctic man. Cause it's, a lot of listeners won't, won't know about it.
0: Well, it, it's like a really unique event. It had A long running. It's unfortunately not happening anymore. So it's a downhill race. You start on top of this mountain called the tit. And this is like between <laughs> Anchorage and, and Fairbanks in the middle of nowhere. You rip down this like big old like pitch. You come into this Canyon and the bottom of the canyon is about like maybe like a minute and 40. You rip around this turn and you have a snowbill teammate who like guns it and matches your speed about 50 miles an hour, hands you a rope, like a ski rope. And you hold on to this thing and you're just getting yanked up this canyon for another like two minutes. And then there's a gate, like a race gate that separates the snowbill driver, your teammate, and you as a skier. So it's almost like a ski jumper water ski jumper like waiting the last second to pull hit the ramp max acceleration so you can't pull too hard and yank your buddy off a sled but you gotta pull hard enough to get good acceleration then you fly off this jump called first aid and you land and you have another, another 30 seconds to the finish line so it's five and a half miles start to finish and my time was like four minutes like one year like marco sullivan got under four minutes like and so that's like an average of eighty miles an hour in, in like Damn. over five and a half miles on skis. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that is crazy!
0: But the the the, the 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 gnarly thing is, if something happens, which guys do wreck, you're in the middle of nowhere. Like there's no hospital there, there's no helicopter on site, and so to me that was probably the scariest like situation. Like having that much speed and, and taking some that risk, and if something did go wrong. You you guys had to figure out quick, you know. It was like a team effort, and there was no medical staff on site to help you out. And the closest hospital is Fairbanks, three hour drive away.
1: That's so gnarly, man. In that vein, uh you know, I always ask everybody this because I think it helps, you know, bring some awareness and some gravity to the situation. How many friends have you lost in the mountains?
0: Too many. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, just, she's just just here in Tahoe. I mean. An MC, and CR, and, I mean, wasn't here, but like Shane, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, you got some big profile guys, but you also have a lot of other non-pros, you know, that don't have the big names that, that um, you know, go down, but that's you know, it's, it's just Kip Gar and his, his girlfriend Allison, you know, like that was, shock. he just came back from Alaska and came straight down Tahoe and they went to go hit a line in Eastern Sierras and both of them went down on the same run and that's just, you know, it's tough. I,
1: mean, I it's- saw them in the Cordova airport as they were headed down and I was headed Good. up. It was crazy, yeah. man. Kip was great.
0: Yep. I mean, just, you know, I mean, one's too many, right. And, you know, even like some race kids, you know, just years ago, I gave this young up and coming race kid. that was on the squad team and gave him a downhill suit and, that winter, he he went on the backside of KT to drop into Alpine and, and with his friend, and they both got buried in one of the you know the gullies. And U.S. Ski Team lost two guys a couple of years ago, so I was sold in Austria. And it goes back to like if you're a good skier, you feel like you can ski anything, but you got to be really aware of snow conditions and train traps.
1: Absolutely, and and, and so av- avalanches are often where we lose friends in the mountains. And how many avalanches have you been in?
0: I've been in, like, two serious avalanches. One, I I mean, I I was never buried and waiting for somebody to dig me out. But with the airbag, that really helped me out that one time. I was up in the Kinnick, filming with TGR, and then the other time at Haynes with Reggie. Um, I was just on the surface. I was able to, like, actually get myself out of there. And it's nice. When you're filming, you have a good team around you. You you have a helicopter flying in the air, and you have a guide in there, and, and they're right on top of me. Like as soon as I could hear him, like I was under the snow, I could hear the heli like over the top of me. I'm banging out trying to get my head free and and uh, you know get an arm up, and just show him where I was at. And I mean, you're, if you're around a good group of well educated and and strong skiers, I wouldn't say you take more risk, but you feel a lot more comfortable. Every, everybody makes mistakes. It's just trying to minimize those mistakes. And if you do make a mistake, it's it's nice to be in a position to help somebody or get helped. Have you ever been
1: hurt while skiing?
0: Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Getting hurt sucks. It was part of the game. And, and I had a run of hip dislocations. Ooh. Six. Just no. Six times. No. And it was brutal. It's, it's like a, a pain you do not want to experience.
1: And it's yeah. so central to your core and your body. Uh, did you have to have surgery? How did it get remedied?
0: You know, um, luckily, I, I ended up having surgery after my last one because I figured there's something wrong because i I was I had these two that just like to me I didn't feel like right at the end of that six you know the fifth and sixth dislocation. I was like, "Come on something's not right, right, but um I had three from between ninety eight and two thousand two New Zealand and Norway and squaw, jeez, and then I had a run of like you know eight years of of not having any issues, and i two thousand eleven going back to that big year we were talking about earlier. It snowed on June 1st, and it was like a fresh fit of power. I was like, oh, I got to go up there and ski to Double Secret location.
1: Nice. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I, I couldn't get anybody to go with me, and so I just decided to go up there. I was in a hat with shades on. I ski down through Hartshoot, come up to the trestle. I'm like, I could walk over there another like 500 feet and just roll in, or I could just send this trestle. I was still like about 300 feet above it. Like, I'll ski into it and just send it off this thing. And the last ten feet was just crazy sticky hot pal, cause I mean June second. Right. You know, it was about ten AM and just baking out. And I was in good pal, and I just hit the flats right there on the top of the trestle and just stuck me. And I ended up coming short, hitting the knuckle, and just tomahawk down this thing and popped my hip out. And that was brutal because I was on my own, which is not Oof. a good not a good thing to do, you know, good way to ski. And then I did again and, and um, you hear that
1: train i love you have the chucky train ripping through chucky man
0: by my wife's studio right now we're right above best pies and
1: oh that's so cool and i'll just yeah. preface for i'll preface for our listeners he's talking about double secret is Donner summit as we talked about earlier and he's jumping off the train trestles are these big train sheds so basically these big train tunnels that protect the tunnels from avalanches and the trains no longer use them in that exact location and you can jump off them and they're awesome but this day it wasn't awesome
0: that was an awesome you know, day for me, but it wasn't until then.
1: You've been on ski trips all over the world. What was your favorite ski trip?
0: I'd say favorite ski trip with a little project involved was Race the Face. So it's this project I did with Jeremy Heights. It's outside of Zermatt, Switzerland. It was end of May, and it was in 2018, and we put a race course, like a Super G race course on a big mountain face. Wow. And it was so cool because we camped out there, we hiked up, we, had, we took the full like Alpinist experience. We had a heli drop in, but we had to hike the thing that we skied. That was probably the coolest experience I've had because it incorporated both the things I love, ski racing and big mountain skiing. To be in those mountains of Swiss Alps is just unreal. You know, like That's the only time I've been in the Swiss Alps. So I've always dreamed about being in a place like that. But plus with a guy like Jeremy Heights, we made it more special and then we had a clock and a, and a course to
1: run sounds like your dream day man i love that switzerland ski racing a big mountain was your favorite ski trip uh, yeah. where have you not skied but you'd love to ski there
0: i haven't skied turkey yeah i just there's really high elevation some epic mountains there and i think that'd be a pretty awesome trip to go i don't really have any interest in going like crazy alpinist style you know, where you need to like, you know, hang on for your dear life and just make one turn after another, just fully gripped, you know, over massive exposure. I wouldn't want that. Yeah, I just love kind of like more like the spines and runnels and stuff like that with good snow. But like, you know, having a long, long run. And Turkey has those those big
1: vertical drops. What's your favorite ski movie of all time?
0: Favorite ski movie of all time? Blizzard of Oz.
1: Good answer. Nice. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of my a
0: classic man. Just you can't that's just what started it all really. So, you know what, actually there's a one, maybe I'll I'll go to uh, 1999 walls of freedom that Scott Gaffney and Rob Gaffney did, because that to me was more like a little more of my era, but I actually wrote a letter and sent it in the mail to Scott saying how I was with that and fired up on what he did and kind of bringing more of like the fun and just, but hardcore, hard charging kind of lines into a ski film so yeah i think it was that walls of fame or 1999 whichever one that was that really is probably my favorite i'll say
1: 1999 is my favorite ski movie of all time especially because there's so much anyway, in it. and I, yeah. I think it's yeah i think it's i'm very confident in saying scott gaffney changed ski movies forever with the light-hearted fun nature that he brought to everything and, and having shane mcconkey there who was such a great character for that style of movie making and that, that changed everything and in 1999 i still watch on repeat This episode of the Snowbrains Podcast is brought to you by Icon Pass. The 21-22 season unlocked. The promise of adventure ahead and endless stoke on the horizon. The best price and biggest savings of the 21-22 season are happening now. Claim your season of stoke before prices go up on May 5th. With pass options starting at only $3.99, adult and exclusive Limited time, spring savings. There's an adventure for every type of rider, both new to the mountain and longtime shredder. Claim your Stoke at the best price with up to $100 off in renewal discounts, up to $200 in child passes. Buy now and ride today at participating destinations. And a new payment plan from as low as $0 down and 0% APR. Explore pass options at iconpass.com. What challenges you the most intellectually on a daily basis?
0: Uh, my wife,
1: yeah. <laughs> I heard her. In. I love that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, She just walked in and cued me up on that one.
1: Good. I like it.
0: I've always been physically oriented. And um, I love like having something that makes you breathe heavy, like once a day, just adventure, I guess. I guess maybe it's, it is adventure, you know, and, and sharing that. Like now we our kids at 13, exposing them to, that kind of life.
1: Family is definitely an intellectual challenge on a daily basis, basically relationships and management of adventure. What's your favorite book or books?
0: You know, I don't read too much. Maybe the last one that I really kind of was a standout was the uh, Warren Miller's autobiography.
1: Oh, wow. I haven't read that.
0: Yeah. It's super interesting because, you know, his love for like, I mean, he's a self-made guy growing up at the beach Building his own skateboard up, you know, surfing, skiing, doing whatever he could to kind of make things happen, and and it's just funny. He's like, "Yeah, I'm digging this ditch for you know a couple of bucks to try and put some food on you know, the table for myself." And it's just I met this guy Klaus Obermeier, you know, and oh yeah, he's digging ditches too with me, and just like he's what? I mean, one of the other legends of the of the history of our sport, right? And just it's how incredible. his his story it was incredible. So I'm more about nonfiction.
1: It's real and it's inspiring because it's real. And and who has inspired you the most in your life?
0: Uh, I've been inspired by a number of people. I say most of, probably my dad is my idol because he worked hard, but he he played hard too. And you know, I learned how to be successful. I've been inspired by anybody that really like pushes hard. Like talent only you know does so much for somebody, but somebody that's successful, you know, they get through hard work. And those kind of like people, like just stand out my eyes, you know, and just inspire me.
1: Tell us a little bit about your dad. I was reading something about him. he was a water ski champion. He had a world record, like 158 foot water ski jump.
0: Yeah. So my dad was, I uh, grew up in Oakland, California, and he was a water skier as he grew up. I like, did everything back then. You do it all. You know, it's, there was no specialized event, but he was a speed skier trick jump slalom. And he set the world record and held it for six years for ski jumping. <laughs>
1: Holy shit. And Very then he
0: was about 19. He was done. Like that was between like 16 and 19. And, you know, back then you weren't getting paid. It was just fun, something to do. And he pushed it. And then he, you know, went to school and he joined a great grandfather. My grandfather, he he joined them in building homes and, and moved it kind of into the, more of the commercial world. My dad take, took the chance of going from residential to commercial and made a good move there and he's always trying to educate himself on the next thing and just stayed really in touch with that kind of world he showed me that you put work in and you get a play afterwards
1: i love that man that's cool yeah i i grew up for a long time by the grand lake theater uh in oakland but uh yeah Yeah. so so my last quote oh go ahead
0: i was like you know my grandparents were 49 uh sorry Oakland Raider fans and have like season tickets for twenty plus years. So whoa,
1: that's fun. And nice then, man. I don't
0: know. In the ski racing world, like we have a lot of guys from Colorado on the team and they're just crazy diehard Broncos fans. So it made me kind of like <laughs> go back to like support the Raiders at any any chance I had, you know, because that's the biggest rivalry out there between those two teams. And
1: I love it. Absolutely. And did you ever have a mentor?
0: I had a lot of coaches that I really idolized, in and, and that way, their mentors. But I'd say when I made the U.S. ski team, the one guy that stands out was A.J. Kitt. He was World Cup downhill winner. He was the one guy that kind of like helped me realize like you got to take calculated risk. You got to push it where you can maintain other places. This is like more of like a mental approach. He gave me a lot of information that helped fast track my skiing career. And so we're super good friends to this day. You know, we got kids almost the same age. So it's, it's fun to have that guy step up in that position for me. Helped me out a lot. Now we can share a lot of life experiences still through this day.
1: I love it, man. So Darren, you're one of the most decorated ski racers in U.S. history with 12 World Cup wins, 28 World Cup podiums, three World Cup championship wins, seven U.S. national titles. In 2008, you were even the winter X-game gold medalist for skier cross. Uh, You won the 2003, which we've talked about, Hanukkah in Kitzbühel, Austria, the Super Bowl of skiing. And you're only the second American to ever do that. Buddy Werner did it in 1959. You're the first American to ever win the Super G in Kitzbühel, and maybe the only one. Um, And you've done three Olympics as a ski racer and then one Olympics as a skier cross athlete. Uh, And so I guess my first question is, which did you prefer competing in more, the Olympics or the World Cup?
0: I'd say World Cup because there's more culture and the fan base is just crazy and there's more energy. Olympics are kind of – I mean, there's so much security surrounding the Olympics and things are shut down. They, they have a limited amount of fans that can show up at the bottom. But when you go to Austria, there's fan, you're just inter, interacting with these fans all day long. They're top to bottom on the course. You can hear – and you feel the energy wherever you go. And to me, that was the most exciting place to ski race was in Austria and Switzerland.
1: Awesome. And what was your favorite discipline? Uh, you know, downhill versus Super G versus Slalom?
0: Yeah, um, I was a GS Super G skier to start, but really wanted to be a downhiller. And I was told I couldn't be a downhiller because of my size by a former like, uh, ski company I skied for. And I ended up switching brands, and the next year One. Wow downhill so it was kind of like in your face moment but it, it gave me a little more like fire you know to go after something like that and to me downhill is just number one because it's the most thrilling most dangerous highest speeds biggest air how fast
1: are you guys going in downhill
0: um my top speed recorded in a race was 91 miles an hour
1: holy it's shit
0: <laughs> ever 100 miles 100.6 miles an hour by a french guy in and whoa in,
1: which country is in,
0: like, in switzerland, switzerland. The that's that Whoa. like uh that's that really long track
1: so you're 90 maybe 100 miles an hour some people and then how scared are you in the, in the start gate knowing that's about to happen
0: no oh, you're just no, no i was never scared about that i wanted to go faster you know it's <laughs> you're going fast you keep really going faster like i was excited for the opportunity you know then, ski racing like i'm no gonna tell you to slow down
1: you know? no no it's the opposite <laughs> yeah, right yeah. how can you go possibly go faster and it makes me wonder too, you know, are, are concussions a big deal in ski racing? Do a lot of people get concussions? Because I've seen you guys crash. It's not soft. Is there a concussion protocol? You know,
0: yeah, there it is. You know, and it's more, they're paying attention to it a lot more nowadays than they have in the past. But for me, like, I never had a concussion. I mean, actually that. I oh, wow. Of. That's great. I've been knocked pretty hard, but maybe I just built in a lucky way or I've been wearing the right Giro product out there. You know, it's just, yeah. When I was racing, it was a pretty thin helmet now like the technology spherical and mips and and just the materials i use help just absorb that you know impact but that's a big thing like now there's like i mean on the u.s ski team there's protocols we had to do a baseline concussion test being a season and if you did get rock pretty hard they would go through that testing procedure to see you know how far off you were and you know it's just i mean it's a shame like this year keely cashman she was she's a tahoe squad girl and Got 17th, 16th, and then 10th in these, uh, these World Cup races in d'Isere, And then she went training with the U.S. team in Garmisch, Germany. And it had some flip little thing, like her ski's caught. And she went down and wrecked pretty hard. And, but she was out all season because of a concussion. So brain injuries are probably the scariest thing out there, you know, um, with skiing. I mean, you could break a leg or arm, whatever, and um, heal up or tear some ligaments and heal up. But the, the head is something you got to be really careful
1: with. It's scary, man. And how grueling are these races? You know, I've heard talk of lactic acid building buildup being so big at the bottom of a downhill race that you you're almost feeling like you need to throw up. You know, have you have you experienced anything like that?
0: We did a lot of testing with that stuff, like heart rate and lactic acid buildup. Um, you learn like a, a warm up, like a good preparation when you do max out, not for too long, but you max out and you get the blood flowing. That helps process that when you really kind of like step it up in a race scenario. But you know, I. I train harder than I ever had a race. I mean I maxed out in training, physical training, where I knew I would never touch that that level in a ski race. So I had like that reserve physically, but also that mental like belief in like in myself to just keep pushing and for sure you're fighting for wind, you know, and your legs are just on fire, just we call it stumping out, you know, if you have no legs left and you see guys just wilt, you know, just fall over. <laughs> In a turn or some train, they just stumped out and they just right. had left.
1: Hit the but wall.
0: I never had that, and I think it was because
1: the way I trained. Solid training, man. And you know, I think people are curious: how do ski racers make money? Is there a good system in place? Are they making any money?
0: It's like most sports, like most individual sports, like the top athletes are making a lot of money mm-hmm. and a lot of money. Like, I mean. It's nothing to do like doesn't compare to like the big stick and ball sports or golf by any means. But if you're top three in the world, like consistently you're definitely making over a million bucks and it trickles down pretty fast. Like maybe if you're top thirty in the world, I don't know, two hundred grand or something. I mean you gotta be really consistent and win a lot of races. Like so our main sponsor would be on our helmet. For me, it's Red Bull. That's like the main sponsor. And then the endorsements you have with equipment sponsors. Olympic years are big because you get a lot of other like non-endemic or out of industry sponsors. So I had, I had like 24 hour fitness or wheat bread deals like with McDonald's and like, I'm not a, you know, heavy McDonald's eater, but they had this passport to play where they brought physical conditioning and awareness to like inner city schools. I went to Chicago and went to this elementary school and, and did this whole thing on like just, you know, physical activity where some of these kids couldn't even kick a soccer ball. It's so still uncoordinated, did even have the strength. So to me, it was like McDonald's initiative to like really combat like, you know, obesity and just lack of like physical activity for, for youth. Like they tried to like make that big difference, you know, there. So and then you get a paid base retainer and then companies will have like a bonus schedule. So basically incentive, like, you know, the faster you ski, the more you make. And obviously when you're top three in the world or on World Cup races, like you're making – good money, but it'll trickle down. And even like there's some companies with lower level athletes that are just trying to bust in the top 30. You you can get paid for like a one World cup point if you if you finish 30th. It's not much, but it's you know a way to you know put some more money in the bank. It's it's definitely attainable like if you're skiing fast. I was never really worried about I mean it was nice knowing I was getting paid, but I wasn't going out there to to ski fast, to make money. I was going out there, ski fast, to kick ass, and know that I was one of the best in the world. And then all that other you know, like the money comes in play. I had an agent.
1: I was just going to say, it sounds like sponsorship is key. So there's got to be agents involved.
0: Yeah. So I mean, mean, as an athlete, you don't have resources to reach out to these big global time or time. Mm -hmm. And so like I hired an agent that was, uh, you know, did a great job for me. As far as structuring my contracts, getting you know um, lined up with other other brands, and I didn't have to do that dirty work. And I wanted to have a good relationship, say with Atomic, where I built a relationship with the engineers, you know, the product design team, just the race director and my ski tech. And I want to have to like battle about like you know money and this and that. Like I had somebody else do that for me. And they make some money off that too. You know, it's incentive for them. Like Perfect. typically it's 20%. Like it's a big chunk, but 20% an agent will take out of a big sponsorship deal. And I was able to work it down to like 12 and percent for all ski industry deals, but like 20% for like the, the bigger, you know, out of uh, ski industry brands. But
1: The non-endemics that makes sense. Thank you for all that. And I'm so curious about what ski racers can do as far as tricks on skis. And I was wondering, do you, can, can, what, what tricks can you do on skis? Have you ever done tricks on skis?
0: Sure. Like, I could I, I, I get grabbing here and there. This, yeah. <laughs> I, I could do a three. You know, it depends on like, the jump. Like, and I'm not going to, like, just completely, like, go for something that's, like, high consequence. But I've done backflips. I've done threes. Nice. Um, I think I didn't do a backflip this year, but I probably did like, five 360s this year or something, you know? I love that. But that kind of stuff's fun. Like you know, I've, I've always thought about, it, but I've never done it. Like a hand drag three. Oh it's yeah, so cool to me. Yeah, and uh, I just get in the mode I don't know. I just built more for straight airs, man. Just downhill. You know, I just I love I love just flying through the air. So to me, it's like it's not even about like pulling a trick. It's about just having that weightless feeling. To me, actually, the best stuff jumping to me is fine. Like a gap or a transfer or like a sweet tranny to land into you know i'm not just looking to drop off something and land you know the same kind of pitch like a cliff drop those are i'm still doing those i enjoy that but i'd rather find ways i can like you know just send it to like a, a tranny out there and i had a, a really fun day in a silver belt gully at sugar bowl or a couple of fun days right like pretty much inspect it like a downhill track and and just like map it out and figure out okay off that where i can I land up you know what kind of land on that's going to be a nice tranny. And I end up like putting these sections together and then full top to bottom runs where like a minute 30 of like all these like hips to like blind just errors. And that to me is, is really fun. And it could be well, something small and land on like a little mini kind of like, like almost like a side of a curve, like little tranny, or it could be something bigger where I need a bigger transition
1: to, to I mean, find. I feel like you're just describing skier cross to me. And that's so interesting because you made the transition from being a World Cup Olympic ski racer to being a you know, World Cup uh, Olympic skier cross skier. And in 2010, you were in the Winter Olympics in Vancouver, Canada. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, the way you're talking about it, I could see this, there's some passion there. How did that skier cross transition from ski racer to skier cross happen for you?
0: Well, you know, it was, it was not an easy move from the World Cup. I was having a ton of fun skiing the best races or racetracks in the world. And, you know, having a lot of support doing it, but I wanted to step away because it was time. Like Michelle, I want to have family. It was like something that I was ready for the next step in life. And, but I needed something to focus on. And it, it was perfect timing. Like a couple of like back to Reggie and Zach, Chris, like those guys are running ski cross X games. And I was like, that'd be fun to do. It's like moto on skis. I ride dirt bikes, I ski. Like you just said, you know, I'm trying to hunt down jumps to like good transitions and all that. But like ski cross had that. And X Games was like the number one uh, venue, you know, a long and you, track.
1: And you won an X Games gold in 2010, which is awesome. Continue.
0: 2008. Oh, 2008. Yeah. Um, so I went into my first, there's actually uh it's called the 48 Straight. Like, uh, it, was a 40, it was a pro tour of ski and snowboard, border cross, ski cross. They had half pipe there, too, so it was really cool. This guy, Kip Nelson from Sun Valley, he's actually the chairman of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association, but but he was a really successful guy and bankrolled this, like, tour where he had, like, the Whalers, Michael Franti playing. We had nice. pipe going off, men and women, ski cross, border cross. It was awesome, like, festival-style um series and we did Sun valley breck aspen squaw i got into it that way like i was a pretty much the fastest qualifier every event but i'd stack in the finals i had a shitty start <laughs> but i'd be like just behind all these guys and try and push too hard going into corners and get boxed out and, and same thing for x games the finals i got boxed out and skied over some guys skis and went down that was, it was an easy crash but i was out you know there's a lot going on. It's not only like how fast you guys ski yourself and pick the best line, but you have to have Plan B and Plan C, and you have to get to know your competitors. You got to pick a start, be mindful of where the other guys are gonna be lining up, because there's like the French team; those guys are nasty, man. They they would try <laughs> like you know, two of those guys in the finals. They're trying to gang up on the fastest guy, and they they're incredible fast starters, like quick twitch muscles and just smoke me out of the start and box me out and I can't go anywhere. Right. But I, so the next year I learned how to I put some time in the technique and training actually for starts and, and won X games. And then it's like, all of a sudden now it's like a new sport in the Olympics. So I'm like, I don't want to go back to the Olympics. I got some fun just doing X games and this, this pro tour. But then I was figuring like, you know, how cool would be to debut a new sport first time and have a chance of you know, being at the top. And one thing I fell short on was Olympic medal. So I went to a few World Cups. I did like a really small run of World Cups just to qualify legitimately and, and get my spot. I was in Austria next to Kitzbühel at St. Johann, and and got second in that World Cup there, ski cross. It was a night ski cross, super rowdy one. It was an awesome event. And I went from fourth in the final up to second. So it's kind of fun to nice you're battling side to side making moves on guys like that's the best kind of way to win ski cross by the way or border cross go from the back of the pack to the front
1: i like that that's good advice
0: you're making the moves and you're owning those guys out there a guy that i love hanging out with nate holland here in tahoe he was notorious for like having a shitty start but he would just motor through the pack and x games he pulled out so many wins by doing that and just i studied all that stuff you know and so to me, it was like a natural progression from racing because it had racing elements. It had stuff I loved, you know, ski terrain. And it was like that moto style event.
1: And then I think that obviously flowed into your Ralph's Bonsai Tour. Uh, and I don't even know how to describe it. So could, could you tell us what was the Ralph's Bonsai Tour and why was it different?
0: Yeah, well, that to me was, was really coolly part of, And going back to it's like a natural ski cross, you know, head to head race where it was all natural terrain there was nothing on a groom run and to me i just wanted to see who was the fastest top to bottom at a ski resort and when you have an off-piste kind of venue with a ton of terrain it's choppy and it's rough you have to have some skills and you got to be willing to to push it and you're around others that that uh, like uh, can affect your outcome but You know, we had it at Kirkwood, Alpine Squaw and Sugar Bowl. Big years, we had four events. And I just wanted to showcase, like, the sport of, you know, it was kind of going back to that 48th straight. Like, I wanted to have more more of like a full encompassing event. Men and women ski, snowboard, bring them all together, have a blast, you know, learn from each other, like, have others feel uncomfortable and (laughs) learn something out there. I yeah. tell you, Miles. Like it was, I saw progression from all the athletes. You know, getting better and stronger. There's great connections that we made, and it's still close to my heart. It, it was sad to see it end, but you um, know, it was a good six year run, and I think it was just one of the ultimate rootsy kind of hardcore events.
1: It was very rootsy. It was very hardcore. It was amazing to watch. The videos were incredible. I mean, he described it, but it's basically big mountain skiing, almost Chinese downhill, but with gates. And then you're, I think it was, you know, you go four at a time. So you're just going down the mountain, natural mountain, moguls, whatever it was, you had to get around these gates. Whoever got to the bottom first won. And my understanding was if you made it to the finals, they would race against you. And did anybody ever beat you, Darren?
0: Uh, No, no,
1: I didn't totally think so. I like, because quick, I mean, been, quick answer.
0: then <laughs> I mean, yeah, Big bash, the, the pride, you know, and I mean, it was a bit like, I, uh, I mean, that's my style of like skiing going fast and, in, and, and holding on and, and just, uh, but I, I love skiing. I set this course to incorporate as much terrain as possible. Um, trying to read the mountain where if I sit like this, it's going to naturally kill speed in certain places. And there's no spot where you have to really, really check speed for the fastest ones out there. They can run at like full tilt and have the mountain naturally slow them down spots. But uh-huh. going back to say Alpine Meadows on the face, I set it where you can make all the turns you want, Or you can go straight line top to bottom, and that was a full blown mogul field. And there's (laughs) in the finals, there were some guys and girls that were just all out straight line, and it ended up being you know uh, some pretty exciting skiing. And and uh, you you take the chance to kind of like throw it down, and it comes back to bite you sometimes. But that to me, yeah, it was just the most exciting thing to do. And I remember like growing up for me, we didn't have any parks or man-made jumps is all natural terrain and we just see who can go down the mountain faster so it's kind of like a throwback to like what i loved as a kid
1: i've been in tahoe for uh, 19 seasons now you know at squaw and one season at kirkwood it was the coolest event i ever saw in tahoe and it was very clear to me and everybody when you'd see the name of the winner you, you know often was a tahoe person and you to go yeah that that is the best skier around yeah, you know, well, yeah. It, it really it really showed who was the best
0: yeah, it's just—I uh, mean—I tried to like reach out and get a lot of people from other, you know, states to come out. And we had a good, you know, contingency from like Colorado, Wyoming,
1: oh Utah, yeah, everywhere,
0: Montana, Oregon, Washington. But it was tough to to beat a Tahoe skier.
1: It was you man, Tahoe got some wanted, strength.
0: In a way, too, I wanted resorts to like build a team, like mm-hmm. send the snowbird team, yeah, you know, send the Jackson Hole team, yeah, send the Sun Valley team, send like your bachelor team and. And we'll have like a a squat team or alpine team or sugar bowl team, Kirkwood team and and see who produces the best skiers in that kind of like, you know, all out format. And so I just, I want to kind of like, it's, it's fun when you put, you know, as the individual people up against each other, but also like a team format that never really came together, but um, it sure did drive a lot of intensity. And I was raising 200 grand a year for that series. And so to me, that was like, I mean, I was hustling, trying to bring sponsorship in. I was doing, I was building a team, working with the resorts, doing the insurance stuff, like everything, you know, nuts the bolts. And but I wanted to be there for the athletes when they showed up and help them with tactics or make them feel a little more comfortable. I would run the track too, and then, and I was getting pushed hard, you know, by these guys. And I remember I wanted to be more of an all mountain ski, so I didn't want to be a race, you know, athlete or a, ra- a ski racer. It was going to be really the one just walking away with it. Mm -hmm. I started like, I was opening up the qualifying on all mountain skis and I got beat in one, uh, qualifier in Kirkwood. Uh And yeah, that guy, Johnny Botchik was using GS skis. Oh, and it was like, Oh, Darren's done. He's going down this and that. (laughs) And so I'm like, Okay, you know, you just fired me up a little more and and I uh, came out the next time with some GS boards and threw down an alpine and, and smoked the field. And I just like set the time, the pace, but these guys are right there. Like it was, that that time, I really took all the risk possibly because there was always chatter, you know, like smoke to the season. So I went out as hard as I could and, and took some quite a bit of risk and, and came down, and, like put a sick run down. So just for the men's ski at the super final and the winners from each stop, we would stack in a fifth gate at Sugar Bowl and I'd line up with those guys. And I brought 10 grand of cash in the morning and put it on the table for registration. If you beat me, you, this is what you get. You walk away with this. It was money out of my own pocket really. And I didn't want to lose it. Plus I didn't <laughs> want to get beat and get, you know, you know, have that like just be the, the talk of the town. So one ski race that I did lose here in Tahoe. Oh, wow. And it was the Pay McSchlonky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there, it was the first year, and Shane was awesome. Like He was like, all right, you know, he's like, line everybody up. There are no rules, you know, this and that. He's like, yeah, it's ready, and like screaming and yelling. He's like, 10 like, seconds. And then he's like, nine, eight, and he turns around and starts skating off. And he's already like,
1: below
0: yeah. us. <laughs> and it was just the full, like everybody's tugging on each other and, and babbling to get down the mountain. And I got behind Shane. And I, would, I couldn't get close enough to get in the draft. But I was like 30 feet back from him
1: on snow blades
0: on snow blades. Yeah. yeah. I was down <laughs> that like right past the bottom of the head wall chair and get on the mountain run. It is a race to Dave's deli. Okay. And uncle Lee's on the mic and he's just like railing me. Cause I got beat by Shane. So that was like the <laughs> gnarliest like leg burn i ever had because those little snow blades, I could not keep those things from just,
1: Oh man.
0: they're just, you know, just quiver. My legs are quivering trying to hold those things and keep them under control and, Shane was in this funny little tuck. He had his knees together in this little crouched tuck. And I saw those feet and they were so quiet and smooth. I'm like, and I'm like all over the place. I can't keep my my feet under control. I'm trying all these different like positions, trying to like figure it out and lock it in. But I think my legs are too tired to, to hold like, you know, the skis under control. And Shane beats me and I was like, okay, I don't want to have that feeling again here in Tahoe. So that was the incentive for bonsai.
1: I love like, it. I love that Back I did the pain Michlanky once too with very little clothing on, and I fell a lot. It was <laughs> embarrassing. I was nowhere near the top of the pack. It was ugly. Uh, but speaking of Shane McConkey, a fellow Red Bull athlete, uh, you know I'm really curious. What's it like to be sponsored by Red Bull? What are the perks? Uh, you know, why is it awesome?
0: Well, Red Bull in my eyes is like the leader of the pack. You know, in all action sports for a, a sponsor. I was a true like, you know, just user. I wasn't uh, nice. like I just you know joined the team and started drinking after that. But Shane, just watching what he did, it was crazy. And he was like the first North American athlete, I think. And oh, they're wow. doing tests in certain areas in Humpty's, this old bar across from Safeway there in, in Taos City. They were like, you know, they like had these Red Bulls and everybody's drinking Red Bull vodkas or, you know, mixing some Jaeger with it. But
1: mm-hmm. it's also this
0: energy drink. And it's an Austrian brand. And I was sponsored by Atomic, an Austrian ski brand. And to me, that was the re- really exciting, this product and brand to be involved with. And my agent going back to my agent, he had some relationships with Red Bull and, and worked a deal out. And but they wouldn't give me the helmet. They're like, we'll give him a re- uh, water bottle to like just have it at the uh, press conferences, media, all that stuff. And whenever he's training, he can use this. And and but it's like they're like, okay, we want to make the make the next step though, and be rocking this like rebel helmet and like well we're not interested in ski racing but huh. we'll make a deal if he wins kitsfield the we'll do it
1: no next sure year,
0: next year i did it so oh they they, <laughs> they stuck with the word
1: <laughs> and, uh, wow i love that story you know, which
0: was crazy is like, i think what they liked about me like i used to race jet skis i ride dirt bikes i wasn't just a normal ski racer just pounding out the weights in the gym and just doing the being the robot that most of those Austrians were and the Austrian guys were, were trying to like get connected with the brand, like Herman Meyer, Stefan Eberhard are the best guys in the world right there, right then. Uh-huh. They couldn't land, you know, or get rebel interested in, in supporting them. So they were shocked that I had it. I showed up and sold in Austria, had the rebel helmet and they were kind of giving me shit. And I was like, I mean, I got to show these guys, you know, that, that there's a reason why Red Bulls picked me of anybody else and i didn't have a great race in Solden, but we got the beaver creek all the austrian guys from red bull showed up all the america u.s guys showed up and i came out and i won yes I home turf just owned it in birds of prey nice. first year rocking you know rocking the uh, red bull colors and and it just it went off from there so i, I kind of i needed to do that for myself like to show that i was worthy yeah because you know i had a lot of like doubters especially the, you know, the other athletes that were better than me and ranked better than me. Yeah. I stepped up and then they came to me saying, Hey, okay, we want, we want you to come over to Austria, go through our entire physical testing protocols. And they put me on a crazy program, uh, you know, like a physical training program I couldn't even keep up with. Like I had to like back off on it. Wow. But that it, it was a game changer for me. Like it showed me like what I should be doing. And I worked really hard to get it took me two years to actually be able to handle this program that they gave me. And then they said, what else can we do to help your, your performance? You know, like make you be more comfortable over here in Austria. I was like, well, I was hanging out at Washugel with this pro motocross race with Ricky Carmichael and his, in his RV. And how about like a, an RV or something like that? Like that is my tour bus for the season. Ooh. And they ended up like hooking me up with this. It was called beat the street. It was a black bus. <laughs> He's getting this is like a German company that supplied like I a mean, Megadeth, Black Sabbath, and whatever, like for years, you know, all these like top notch, like big heavy bands. And I had this, I had a driver, I had this bus completely decked out. It was my like sanctuary in a way I could get away from like all the hype and the craziness on race day.
1: That's huge.
0: I had food in there. The driver was a chef, so wow. he cooked for me. I had a spin bike in there. I'd be able to yeah. spin and kind of like warm up or like recover. I had a TV where I could watch like all the, you know, the video, the tapes, but I'd be rocking 99, you know, yeah, film there to get me fired up for the race. <laughs> and it was just the next level. So I had that for three seasons. And then I had a deal with Audi where I had my own sick, like RS6. Nice. I could rip around it and Ooh. my driver would get the bus to the next, you know, next venue and I'd roll up and then have my home on wheels right there and they they just go above and beyond. It's not just wearing the helmet and and getting free product and, and uh, getting paid to represent the brand as well as you can. But it was like they're trying to make you into the best athlete possible with bringing the the mental aspects there with sports psychologists and the uh, the training. If I got hurt, which I got hurt in this big crash in Alboad in Switzerland right in the middle of the season, as a world championship year, right before Vangen and Kitzbühel, under like it was like the heaviest you know like most focused time of the year, and they got me tied in with like this witch doctor in Salzburg that worked on like the top soccer players, tennis players over there. Dude, he brought this like crazy stick out and started prodding me with the stick, and it was like it's weird magical stick. He's like a wizard, and I tell you, like, I, couldn't, I couldn't even stand on my leg. It was a soft tissue injury, nothing broken, but I couldn't even stand on my leg. And in like three days, I was able to ski. Weird. And it was kind of, it took me still about a week and a half to get 100%. But it went from like, I'm done for the year to working with this guy that like only a few people know, opening up the energy pathways, like doing all that stuff that's like kind of hocus pocus shit in a way. But I believe I, I'm going to try everything I can. Right. Right. On, um, in, in, I would say, in parameters like i never doped i never did any of that stuff where it was it had any illegal performance enhancing drugs which you know is like to me i just want to be clean and i knew i could do it without having any other illegal kind of measures but i was willing to work as hard as i could you know on any like uh, physical training or physical therapy or eating like you know just really good foods and and treat my body right and That to me was like the most important
1: thing. I love it, man. It's clear that Red Bull is extremely supportive uh, and, and, you know, just it's so important to them to make sure that their athletes are performing, not just performing, but are recovering, performing and training at their highest level. And, And I'm so glad that that was a benefit to you. Darren, you're getting older now. If I understand you're about 47 years old. And, uh, so, you know, our bodies are changing at this old, I'm 42. I know this is a fact Uh, I'm dealing with some back pain and sciatica right now, you know, after just sitting around too much in Alaska. And so I'm just curious, you know, what did 30 years of ski racing do to your body and what are you doing now to stay in great shape? I'm pretty damn
0: lucky miles. Like I don't have any ailments that like slow me down day to day. My back does get like jacked up once in a while, but I think, when you move and you do good functional movements and you stretch, keep that flexibility up. That's helped me a ton. And so at 47. Yeah. I'm able to go out and, and charge and, and push myself. I think the hardest thing for me is recovery these days. Like I don't recover like I used to.
1: I do not recover like I used to either, especially from hard crashes. Uh, so climate change, what evidence of climate change have you seen in your lifetime?
0: You know what um, I just saw the other day too. flam the to Hanes, there's the toe of this glacier receded so much. Like when I first went up there, I remember seeing this is in 2000. I Remember seeing it touch this lake? It's uh, the Davidson Glacier. I'm pretty sure it is the name of it, and it's receded way back behind the lake, and and just shocking. In my it's 21 years, right? I've gone up there, like the difference. I'd say it's a small time frame to see such a major major change.
1: And when he says Haynes is Haynes, Alaska, and what's next? What, what's next for you in your journey?
0: still trying to figure out really the big picture, but I love the outdoors, really involved in ski racing. I'm getting more in touch with like the current athletes, the ski racers and all that. And, you know, for sure it's going to be providing whatever I can for my kids to do whatever they love, but keep working on it day to day.
1: COVID silver linings. I, I, I We've all gone through COVID. The lockdowns, it's been really difficult, very stressful, but I've, I've found some silver linings along the way. And I'd love you to share with us what what silver linings have you seen during coronavirus?
0: The silver lining for me was backing off my travel schedule and being home, really being able to spend time with my wife and kids a lot more and, and friends at home. That was something special for sure. And then taking a step back, you know, like um, just what do you really appreciate? And that's the time with family and friends. I mean, it, was, it sucked for a while, and especially – with you know seeing my kids how restricted they were to go play with their friends and i think that's um a, i say the biggest silver lining is appreciation for the life that we typically get to share with others and you know just having less restrictions but it is what it is and we're moving through it and i think we had a lot better ski season than i expected coming into it
1: absolutely Darren, that's it. That's all I've got for you. Do you have anything else you'd like to share here at the end of the show?
0: Well, no, I mean, not really. I mean, just, uh, snow brains. It's, it's really cool to see what you have built SnowBrains into miles and, and, uh, you know, just the passion we share for, for skiing. I'm just, if there's snow on the ground, I want to ski bottom line. And, and, uh, if it's racing or big mountain or ski cross or, you know all that stuff backcountry touring like i love it all i just want to inspire others to to go out and find what they're made of make it happen
1: i love it man i'm with you if there's snow on the ground i want to ski darren it's great talking with you today i appreciate you thank you so much for being here have a great day man Thank you so much for listening to the Snowbrains Podcast. If you liked this podcast, please share with your friends and family and please subscribe. To find out more about Snowbrains, please visit us at snowbrains.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Snowbrains. This episode of the Snowbrains Podcast is brought to you by Icon Pass, unlocking access to more than 40 unique Icon Pass destinations. From the second you score your pass and stake your claim to the 21-22 season, we've got an entire season of sweet stuff to look forward to. Own the season. Own the stories. Own the stoke. Prices go up May 5th. Buy now for 21 at iconpass.com. This episode was edited by Robert Wilkinson. The music was done by Chad Crouch. I'm your host, producer, and creator, Miles Clark.